in the 2003 uh, movie, uh, Bruce Almighty. Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, was awfully disappointed and frustrated in the way God was running things, and he, he let God know about his disappointment and his frustration. So God showed up, who, as it turns out, looks a lot like Morgan Freeman, and God said to, to Bruce, well, big boy, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you run things for a while. Hence the title of the movie, Bruce Almighty. So Bruce, a mere mortal, was placed in charge of, of running everything on the earth. As you might imagine, Bruce uh, made a mess of things. Bruce ended up uh, making a mess of a lot of people's lives, including his own. And, and near the end of the, of the movie, in a dramatic scene that I cannot recreate, Bruce is walking down the, down the street in the rain. He's drenched, he's demoralized, his head is low. He falls to his knees and looks to the heavens and he cries, you win, I'm done. Please, I don't wanna do this anymore. I don't wanna be God. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. That, in essence, is step three of the 12 steps for us all. If you're new, we're walking through the 12 steps, and you might recognize that phrase from the world of recovery, from Alcoholics Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous and, uh, and several recovery groups. But I believe it's a wonderful program of spiritual maturity of Christian discipleship for us all. In week one, step one, we admitted that we have a problem we can't fix, that woven into our DNA invisibly but powerfully and destructively is what Romans 7 calls a sin nature, the overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. So all of us have inherited this problem that we cannot fix on our own. We admitted that in step one. In step two, last week, we chose a solution. We chose hope. We said there is one whose power and love are, are sufficient to, to redeem us from the pit, meaning to rescue us, to transform us, and to empower us for the good living of the rest of our lives. This week is surrender week. When we surrender our wills, our deciders that place deep within us from which decisions arise, when we surrender our wills to God. Now get your uh, worship guide out, please. If you're in the room, if you're at home or wherever you're watching by live stream or television, it's going to be on the screen. I've given these to you physical copies because frankly, I want you to, I want you to have them now, but I want you to take them home. If you just come for these weeks and listen to a sermon series on the 12 steps, I'm not sure it's going to be much help. You're going to have to do the work as I am doing the work. If we really want to grow, if we really want to, to get the benefit of these 12 steps, then take this home, make this part of your weekly routine. On your handout or on the screen, you'll see step three reads like this in AA. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 
Now, here's our biblical principle for us all. I choose to surrender my will to God, believing only He knows and can do what's best for me. We might summarize the first three steps like this. I can't, God can, so I'm going to let Him. I can't, God can, so I'm going to let Him. Let's say that together. I can't, God can, so I'm going to let Him. Luke 9, 23 is our first verse for today. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then our second verse, James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The human predisposition towards choosing our wills over that of our creator is a tale almost as old as time. We go back to the first chapters of Genesis, and we're not sure of the exact events. In Genesis, the story of beginnings is a story of historical, real events that are depicted in beautiful, poetic language. So we're not quite sure of the exact details. But we know that in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were, that there was one thing God had forbidden them, for them to do. He, the, the Bible, Genesis 3 calls it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some people call it an apple. We don't know what it was. In fact, was it a metaphor? Was it a symbol? We, we don't know. We know that there was one thing so important to God that he said to Adam and Eve, this is forbidden. And then the tempter showed up, the evil one, the enemy, Satan himself, in the form of a serpent. This was obviously before serpents were so creepy. He showed up in the form of a serpent, and he sold Adam and Eve a bill of goods. He tapped into the pervasive, destructive human desire to play God. In chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 5, the tempter says, God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's going on. You will be like God. Please don't miss that. From the very beginning of human history, the tempter says, if you do this, you'll be like God. He tapped into that destructive, pervasive human desire to be like God. Don't you do it. God said, won't you do it, the tempter said, and she did. Why did you do it, Adam asked. Why don't you do it, Eve asked, and he did, and here we are. They lost Eden that day. They squandered the first and last perfect place on earth. In the 1600s, Milton wrote that epic poem, Paradise Lost, about this very event, about, about Eden, about perfection being squandered by two people who wanted to play God. And truth be told, since Eden, paradise has been lost millions of times. People have squandered jobs, squandered families, squandered rights, have squandered joy, have squandered health, all in that 
pervasive, destructive human desire to be God. Doug told his story. We were in Richmond. Doug uh, spoke to our church one day. and he, he was part of our recovery ministry. He said that he grew up in the church, but he had abandoned the church as a young man, believing it held no, no significance for him. He was an alcoholic. He was drinking heavily. He was an active alcoholic, but he knew that he knew that he needed answers that he didn't have, and so he was searching for answers. A friend of his uh, suggested the New Age movement. Now, that's, it's not quite as popular as it used to be, the New Age movement, but it's, it's not really a religion. It's, it's an attempt sort of to, to pick and choose from the great salad bar of all religions. And the late Wayne uh, Dyer was a guru of the New Age movement. And, and so, uh, this friend of Doug gave him some cassette tapes. You remember cassette tapes? Right after eight tracks. If you're too young to remember eight tracks, you might remember cassettes. But he gave him cassette tapes of Wayne Dyer speaking of the New Age movement. And Wayne Dyer said, as he often said, we are all gods. And he said, as he was famous for saying, he said through that cassette player to Doug, who was looking for answers, he said, you are God. Doug was riding down the road listening to that cassette player. He said he yelled back at the cassette player. Thinking I'm God is what got me here in the first place. Playing God, thinking I have the power to run my life, has almost killed me. All the way back in Eden, the tempter knew of our desire to, to run our lives. And many of us have squandered paradise. Carrie Underwood sang about riding, driving down the road on Christmas Eve, headed home. She was alone in the car, except for her baby asleep in the back seat. It had been a hard year, the song says. And she hit a, a sheet of black ice, ice she couldn't see, and the, and the car began to spin. And she cried out, Jesus, take the wheel. Now, some of y'all didn't know the answer to that country music song. I want you to know we don't look down on you for being uncultured. <laughs> All are welcome here, culture or not. So he, she cried out, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Take it from my hands. I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance and save me from this road I'm on. The car came to a safe stop on the shoulder and the song says that she began to weep and for the first time in a long time it says she prayed. This time not about her car but about her life. Jesus, take the wheel, she cried. Take it from my hands. I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance and save me from this road I'm on. Now, some people I know think that's just a country, a corny country music song, but it's actually a pretty good, pretty good way to express step three. I've, I've not done well with things, and so if you'll take the wheel, I, I, I've gotten lost, I've had some wrecks along the way, and, and so if you'll, just, if you'll just take the wheel, 
Some people are afraid if we, if we pray this prayer of surrender that God will make us fuddy-duddies. You know what a fuddy-duddy is, right? Fuddy-duddy is somebody who's miserable, makes other people miserable. Some of us are afraid that we won't ever have any more fun if, if we surrender our wills to God. Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, said, what if my two sons were to come to me and say, Dad, we've been thinking about things and We've decided that you're wiser than we are, so we've decided that from now on, until we get grown, we'll do exactly what you tell us. We will obey you. We won't, if you say do something, we won't ask. We'll simply do it. If they were to do that, he asked, what do you think I would do? Would I say, finally, I've got them where I want them. I'm going to make them miserable. No, of course, he said. I, I would be humbled by their offer, and I would tell them, sons, I will do everything in my power to merit your trust and your obedience. If that's so of a human father, how much more so must it, must it be for our heavenly father who wants what's best for us? If we were to say, I surrender my decider, that place deep within me from which decisions arise, I, de- I surrender that to you. How much more would he, would he open the, the blessings and the, and the peace and the joy and the, and the ability to, to make, a good influ- to, to make a good influence in the world. So many of us, I think, are afraid. And frankly, this notion of complete surrender is hard for me to imagine. I, I have a hard time getting my head around this idea that, that you or I could ever completely surrender. But the truth is, we don't, we don't have to get there today. Today we begin a lifelong journey towards complete surrender. A a journey that begins today that will last until either Jesus comes or he calls us home when we, that journey towards that complete surrender of our deciders. In your outline and on the screen you'll see a quote from Keith Miller who said it like this, this deciding represents as total a commitment as we can honestly make to as much of God as we can understand, however little that may be. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it reads, we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. I'm not encouraging perfection, but I am saying that we can Take a step on that journey towards complete surrender of our deciders. In your outline, you'll see two prayers. One is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the prayer for step three. But in bold on your outline, and you will see on the screen if you're watching by live stream or television, you'll see the prayer of Dr. Bob. He was one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous along with Bill W. or Bill Wilson. This was his prayer for step three, and I'm going to invite us to pray this together. Now, I've been meeting on, on, Wednesday, on Thursday nights with our friends from Bright Star, people in recovery and people who love people in recovery. By the way, you're all well, always welcome, 6.30 down in room 118. We have fellowship at 6.30, and then the teaching begins at 7. And I'm learning so much from people who've been working the 12 steps, many of them for years and years. And they tell me how important it is to verbalize this surrender, that 
It's not enough just to do it in our heads and our hearts. They speak of the power of of voicing our decision. And so, I'm going to invite you to pray. And here's the deal. You say, but Travis, I'm not quite ready for that complete surrender. I get it. But if you'd like to be, if you say, you know, I really will, I know that this is valuable. I know it would be helpful. I really want one day to be there. If you are, if you want to pray it, even if you're not ready for complete surrender, in fact, I'm not sure that all of us are, then, then you pray this prayer. We're going to pray this together. I'll lead us if you'll follow along this prayer of Dr. Bob for step three. Dear God, I'm sorry about the mess I've made of my life. I want to turn away from all the wrong things I've ever done and all the wrong things I've ever been. God, please take over the management of my life and everything about me. I am making this conscious decision to turn my will and my life over to your care and am asking you to please take over all parts of my life. Amen. Decades ago, Roy Angel, who was a a pastor in, uh, in uh, Miami told about going one summer to spend a week at a dude ranch. And at this dude ranch, he met a young cowboy who had a stallion who was really more like a pet. He had, the cowboy, the young cowboy, had taken care of the, of the horse since it was a colt. And they had such a close bond that uh, the stallion would follow him around like a puppy. But then the stallion one day stepped into a gopher hole. It didn't break his leg, but it did hurt his leg. And so they put the stallion into a pasture for the leg, the stallion's leg to heal. And then one night while Roy Angel was there at that dude ranch, a, a herd of wild horses came running into the pasture. And when they ran out, the stallion ran with them. And the young cowboy's heart was broken. Two nights later, another one of the cowboys came racing in on his horse, yelling, I've found your stallion, I've found your stallion. He's out in the canyon with a herd of wild horses. So Roy Angel, the young cowboy, mounted up and rode out to the rim of the canyon. Sure enough, there was the herd And there among them was the young cowboy's stallion. The young cowboy crawled carefully and quietly down the side of the canyon into the tall grass below and crawled as stealthily as he could through the grass until he got as close as he dared to the herd. And he stood up abruptly and he called out the name of his stallion. Of course, the herd bolted. And the stallion stood there in the midst of a dilemma. The stallion pranced nervously in place, a few steps toward the herd, a few steps toward his master. To one side ran the herd with which he had run. To the other side stood his loving master. 
And the horse, the stallion, didn't know what to do. And then he, then he apparently decided, he bolted, he, took, he ran toward the herd, and the cowboy's heart sank. But after several uh, yards or feet, the, it was as if the stallion had a thought. What am I thinking? And he turned around, and he, he trotted gingerly over to his master, and together they went home. And somebody listening to me in this room, at home, in a hospital room, or somewhere else, is in the canyon. To one side runs a life that once seemed so attractive to you, but has, has not served you well. And then to the other side stands a loving Heavenly Father who, who became flesh and took upon Himself your sins and died. And because God gave you free will, the choice is yours as to which way you'll go. And maybe somebody, for somebody, this is the day that you will say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be God. I surrender to your will. Jesus, take the wheel. We're going to celebrate, observe communion. There's no better way that I know to sum up these first three steps. To admit that there's a problem woven into our DNA that we can't fix, the sin nature, the overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. The choice of hope that there is one whose love and power are great enough to redeem me, to rescue me, to transform me, and empower me for the good living of the rest of my life. And that I will, I will surrender. I will begin at least that, that journey toward complete surrender of, of, of that place deep within me from which decisions arise. We invite you to celebrate with us if you are at home or in the hospital or on live stream by our television we're going we're gonna to pass out the, the plates with the wafer and a cup here, but you go and, and go to the pantry, go to the refrigerator, go wherever you are. If you're in the hospital room, hit that nurse's button. Tell them you're about to do communion. They'll, they'll know exactly what you mean. No, you tell them. Find me something. And we're going to celebrate uh, together. When the deacons pass it out, I invite you to take it. There are two cups in the room. There are two cups. One has the wafer, one has the juice. They're together. Just take both of them in that same, both together. And then hold on to it, and we'll celebrate together. And if you're, if you're not a member of our church, that doesn't matter. This is not the first Baptist table. It's not a Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. So if your heart is turned toward Jesus, then we invite you to celebrate with us. As we prepare, would you, would you join me, please, in praying? Lord, we pause at the beginning of this sacred event to remember, to admit that we have a problem, a sin nature we can't fix, and we choose hope that your power and grace are enough, and we, we begin the process of surrendering all that we have and all that we are uh, to you. We pause to remember uh, the death of our Lord Jesus, who stretched forth his hands 
took upon himself our sins and died. And so we, we mourn together and we give thanks together. We celebrate this which you have instructed us to do. And we do this all in the name of the Lord Jesus himself. Amen.